Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Smithy off sick today, so it's Louis here stepping in for him. And, uh, well, in lieu of Smithy, I know exactly what he would have wanted to do today. And he would have wanted to talk baseball because the All-Star game, I believe it's up in Seattle. And the festivities get underway. We've got the Home Run Derby later on today. And, well, for me, it's not actually about that because... While the man that's leading the league in the majors in home runs, well, he's not participating because he's got a blister and fair enough because his fingers, well, they should be insured. Remember when was it Dan Carter's foot or Brett David Beckham's foot was insured for a, a series of squillions of dollars? Well, insure every inch of this man. Shohei Otani. Showtime. And he's been that for a wee while, but... As I started the show with today, I am struggling for comparisons about what this guy does globally anywhere around the world through any period of time. When you stack up offense, defense at the levels he's doing it consistently healthy, he's a star. And a man who's watched him for a long period of time, who's covered him for a long period of time, and even wrote a book about him, Showtime, the inside story of Shohei Otani and the greatest baseball season ever played. I imagine there's probably... Uh, a catalogue in the works now. It's Jeff Fletcher. We're so lucky to have him joining the show today. Jeff, thanks so much for giving us some of your time. How are you doing, man? I'm great. Thanks for having me. No, it's uh, it's something I've been wanting to do for a wee while now. I think it kind of started during June, and I'll let you set the scene for us because it's not new what Shohei Otani's doing, although it kind of is at this consistent level, right? So when did it? you start to get the feeling that he somehow got better in 2023. Can you paint the picture for who this guy is? Well, he's been pretty good, really, ever since 2021. And he's had little moments where sometimes he looked better as a pitcher, sometimes he looked better as a hitter. And uh, actually, in early 23, he was kind of in a slump uh, at both. And, you know, people were sort of wondering what was going on. I mean, he was still fine. But then it just really, in June, he went crazy and just started hitting a home run. Uh, like every other game, basically. And uh, he had just a sensational month. And he also pitched better in June than he had pitched up to that uh, previously. So it was probably, you know, his best month, all things considered, in the major leagues. Uh, It was pretty incredible. Now, for people in New Zealand that don't watch MLB religiously and and the majors, when we talk about baseball, it's really hard to hit and to hit consistently, right? Can you just give us a bit of context of how many times, for example, out of 10, is someone going to the plate and expecting to positively impact their team's offense? Well, basically, you know, your batting average is what they call it for, uh, you know, how many, what percentage of times you get a hit per times at bat. So if you have a 250 batting average, that means 25% of the time you're going to get a hit. And if you go through and you have a 300 batting average, which means 30% of the time, you're one of the best players in baseball. And, you know, a 200 batting average would make you one of the worst. So that's pretty much the range that it goes. And, uh, you know, what he does is not so much that he's uh, 
the greatest hitter ever. I mean, there, there are other hitters that are like him, but the fact that he can pitch also at a very high level is what makes him unique because p- p- players basically are either position players, we call them, they hit and they play a position in the field, or pitchers. Nobody, and I mean literally nobody, does both. So for him to do both of those things is just uh, incredible. Uh, you know, I guess, you know, it would be like on a, a soccer team if, if the best goalie was also the best goal scorer, you know, <laughs> something like that. And he would one game, he was the goalie and the next game he was out scoring goals. That's basically what you're looking at. So uh, that's how that's how it is. Yeah, it's uh, it's I mean, I'm sure every sports radio jock around the world has tried to put it into perspective for their own country and we have had people down here um, that have played for the All Blacks, our rugby team, and played for the Black Caps, our national cricket team. Two entirely different sports. And in cricket, you've got people that do bat and bowl as well, but it's more accepted. It's actually encouraged. They want bowlers to be able to bat, and you know, an all-rounder is not an unusual position at all in cricket. But in baseball, I mean, I've been doing a bit of reading, and it seems like it there is a bit of scepticism and it hasn't been always been encouraged. Whenever somebody has shown these abilities, it's kind of like you have to pick one. So is Shohei breaking the norm? Is he changing opinions? Is he essentially changing the sport? You know, a lot of people would like to say that, but I don't think he is because I just think he's unique. And I don't think there's going to be anybody else like him who's able to do this. And the problem is that in Major League Baseball is such – a high level that you need to be at to compete. And if you are at a major league level as a pitcher, but say only 80% of the level you need to be at as a, as a hitter, you know, maybe with development, you could get there, but they're a major league team is not going to mess around and they're not going to wait. They're going to go, well, you're a pitcher because you're a pitcher already. And we don't have time for, for you to wait for this. Cause we have all these other guys that are at a hundred right now. And so you just don't get the opportunity. So the reason that he, it worked for him was because he started in Japan and he was going to go straight to the United States out of high school. But the team in Japan said, Hey, if you stay here, we will let you pitch and hit. And they basically made that promise to him. So uh, even though in his early years, when he was 18, 19, 20 years old, he wasn't, you know, fully developed. He wasn't that good uh, as a hitter. But they let him do it because that was the promise they made to keep him. And so that's how by and then five years later, he was good at both and he was ready to go to the major leagues. If a if a kid from the United States started off here, he would not have gotten the same luxury. They would have realized, you know, pretty early which one he was better at and they'd have just said, Focus on that. Yeah, that's fascinating. It opens up a whole other question about youth sports and, and something we talk a wee bit about down here. Like, stop making kids specialise so young if they want to play soccer and netball or, or rugby and softball. Let them do it until they really do have to decide. You know, let them furnish their skill sets. How, how, did, the, how did the Anaheim or the, the Angels end up getting you know, first dibs on the sky then. I mean, what's the backstory about his connection to this team in particular? Well, that's a really fascinating story. Uh, normally when a guy comes from, uh, you know, playing at a high level in Japan, he becomes a free agent. So all the major league teams can just bid for him. And the team that pretty much gives the most money gets him. Uh, but because they sort of changed the rules right before Otani came over. And at the age he was, 
there was a restriction on the amount of money that you could pay them. So that meant all of a sudden, all the teams, even the teams that have less revenue than the others could afford him. So basically every team made a sales pitch to him to try to convince him that their team was the place for him to go where he would be happy. And, you know, he would get the opportunity to try to be a pitcher and a hitter. And he just picked the angels basically because he felt a connection with them. He said, uh, I think he really liked being on the West coast. Obviously it's a little closer to Japan than, you know, if you were in New York or something like that. And, uh, you know, I think it was just the personalities that he met with, with the angels that really kind of made him feel comfortable and at home. And that's how he, he picked them. It's, it's an interesting footnote. Like it, it, it's, it breaks a lot of conventions, but I guess that's, that's him as a nutshell, right? He just is a one of one and, and, in every sense of it. Um, I want to talk a bit about the Angels before we come back to Otani and then figure out what, what this All-Star Weekend or midweek means and, and what his next few years look like. And I want to come back to that. But just on the Angels, one thing in the intro for the show today, I, I just, and I spent a lot of time thinking about this and I, I couldn't get my head around it. So hopefully you can explain it. When you've got a guy that can do this much for your team and he relieves so much of, theoretically he would relieve so much pressure from positions and you've got a luxury right you've got a a weapon an unfair advantage how have the angels not managed to leverage him let alone mike trout as well but how have they not managed to leverage him into more success is that on them is it administrative is it salary cap how does baseball work that they haven't been able to leverage this unfair advantage yeah, well, you need to have a lot more players than just two to be a good baseball team. And even if you count Otani as two players and count so him and Mike Trout as three, then you still need a lot more than three. And the basic problem is the uh, the Angels' player development. So it's you know when they take the guys out of high school and college and they they play in the minor leagues and they try to develop them into good major league players. That part of the process has just failed for the Angels. So they're left with not enough good major league players uh and so in order to fill all these other holes they have to basically take the leftovers from other teams and a lot of those guys are just not you know either they're too old or they make too much money so you can't afford enough of them or they're injury prone so uh that's basically what their problem has been um you definitely you can't do it with with just two or three players no matter how good they are you need to have 15 or 17 or 19 to to really be a good team and most of those guys, you come from your own system, and that's where they haven't uh, been successful. I mean, it's amazing. Do, do Does the baseball fraternity and the Angels network accept that from the outside looking in, that, that just seems crazy that they've had a genuine generational talent, maybe not actually just a talent, a one-of-one, one, and then Mike Trout at the same time, and they haven't been able to get it right and get their ducks in an order i mean it, it really feels like a waste but i don't know if that's the way it's looked at or considered around the team oh uh well not around the team but trust me around major league baseball it is talked about all the time people are always talking about how the angels have failed these generational talents and that it's you know such a shame that these great players are not on a team that's playing in the world series every year and uh believe me it is a, a thing that Everybody around the Angels is tired of hearing, but the only way they can stop the discussion is by actually winning. And uh, even this year, they're not. Uh, they're, they're right now. They've they've lost 
one more game than they've won after 91 games. So they've got uh, a lot of work to do to, to end that discussion. So back to Otani, and we all saw the, the amazing scenes where he, he struck out Mike Trout in the, the baseball classic. Clearly winning to him means a lot because, and you know, there would have been national pride tied into that and baked into it, of course. But that looked like, to me, a guy who is a serious competitor, who takes his life and his job very seriously and wants to win. So obviously that puts the Angels on the clock. If you were setting the market right now, what chance is there that he resigns with Anaheim? Well, I've been saying there's about a 30% chance, I think. Uh, and then their recent, really, tailspin has kind of lowered that maybe a little bit because I was assuming that they were going to be good enough to to contend and, and make, make the playoffs this year, which certainly would have helped their effort in bringing him back. Uh, they do have a lot of things in their favor because he's comfortable in Anaheim. He knows how everything works. He knows how he fits onto the roster as a pitcher and a hitter. Um, it's not a huge media fishbowl where he has to deal with a lot of outside noise. So all of that helps, but he does really want to win. And uh, the Angels have to show him that they can. And uh, right now they're not doing a great job of it. But, you know, three weeks from now, if they've gotten on a hot streak, maybe it'll look different. But I still think, you know, 30% is probably about the most optimistic that you could say. And what would a contract look like, Jeff, for a guy like Shohei Otani? I mean, what are, you, what are you speculating? Like, what are you hearing? I know that in baseball we, we see contracts that are longer than pretty much anything we get in this part of the world. And also because of the, I mean, immense TV ratings and the, the salaries are, are ginormous. I, I'm even hesitant to say it out loud, but I did see somebody suggest, would he be a billion-dollar man? I mean, is that outrageous to even consider? Uh, yeah, that's outrageous. Um, okay, I would say good. the the largest good. the largest baseball contract ever was four hundred and twenty six million dollars. So right. Otani's going to sur- surpass that. Uh, I would say you know most people feel like five hundred is kind of the number that he's going to be somewhere in the five hundreds, and then you hear uh, some crazy kind of estimates that it might go to six hundred, but I think that's uh, a little extreme just because I think that he's really not interested in the money you know he's going to get the record no matter what if he gets 428 he's going to be the highest paid ever so i think he just wants to be comfortable and he wants to win and i think that once he finds you know the the six or seven teams that can get in the financial ballpark of you know 450 to 525 million or whatever he's just going to pick where he's most comfortable and then it's not going to be then a bidding war among those teams. He's just going to say, all right, let's, this is where I want to go. 500 million is great. Let's just do that. Which is, by the way, uh, over 800 million New Zealand dollars. So <laughs> it's quite, when you put it like that, I mean, it's insane, really. We're talking about these numbers and we're talking about this guy's talent. It really is, there's no parallel. And that's the point. So, whether it's the Dodgers, whether he goes back to Anaheim, he's staying in the majors in the States. But we often hear the conversation around American sports, and I think, I don't know if you follow the NBA at all, but Nikola Jokic has just won the NBA MVP. And there's some thought that maybe if he was American or if he was more relatable to the American audience, he'd be a bigger superstar. I mean, I've seen a wee bit of Shohei Otani, and he seems like a pretty reserved, shy, I don't know if shy is the right word, but a pretty conservative-by-nature guy. So does he connect with the American audience? It is the American pastime, after all. Do you 
do fans of the MLB feel like they know him and they can really connect to him? Well, they definitely do not feel like they know him. And I think that is intentional on his part. Uh, I think that when you start out with a, a baseball player is not going to have the same public uh, stature as, as stars in other sports, just because of the nature of baseball. You know, when you only bat four times a game, you're only on the TV screen for, you know, eight minutes in a two and a half hour baseball game. Or even mm. if you're the pitcher, you only pitch once a week. So, you know, every five or six days. So it's not going to be the same to where you can just say, hey, any time I want, if I turn on an Angels game, it's just going to be Otani that I'm going to see. So that kind of limits uh, the way he can become a star. And then also when you don't play in the postseason, you know, the World Series, then a lot of people just don't get to see him. And then when you add on top of that, the fact that he doesn't really uh, communicate in English uh, publicly anyway, he can, you know, with his teammates and stuff like that. You know, you're not going to see him sitting on a talk show uh, doing that kind of thing. So all of that adds up to the fact that he's he's kind of a mystery man to some degree, which uh, I think is perfectly fine with him. I think he just wants to be the best baseball player in the world and then be left alone. So uh, which is nothing wrong with that. He's done a great job at that. Uh, but I think that's really what he wants more than being the most famous person in the world. It's amazing. It's an incredible story. So uh, All-Star Week this week, uh, does, is there fanfare around it? Uh, will he be up there? I know he's obviously been selected to start. Is he going to partake? Do you know? Yeah, he's going to be the designated hitter for the American League. Uh, the game's tomorrow night. He's going to bat second. Uh, I assume he'll probably bat twice and then come out of the game. They They try to get as many people as possible into the game so the guys who start will only play a, a you know, the first half of the game and then a whole other group of players will come in to play too. So it's just an exhibition. It's fun. Uh, you know, he, he will definitely be in there though. Uh, Mookie bets or Vlad Guerra Jr. for um, the head-to-head home run derby today because I'm looking at the odds and Vlad's a, a short enough favorite. So round one, can we be backing our man in or, or does Mookie have something to say about that? I don't know. The home run derby's tough to pick. Uh I think it's uh, sometimes gets a little long. I would like to see them cut it about in half, but because uh, you can only watch guys hit home runs for so long <laughs> instead of making a th- three-hour-long show. But uh, you know, I got no predictions for you on that one. <laughs> You're staying out of it. I don't mind that as well. It is a yeah. bit of a crapshoot, crapshoot, as they say, Jeff. Hey, thanks so much for um, just giving us a bit of your time on Shohei Otani. Are you? Hey, before I let you go, are you writing another book? I mean, you'd, you'd have to be, right? Uh, there's uh, some talk about maybe doing another book uh, in Japan, and uh, certainly uh, there's an update to the uh, the previous book that is going to be coming out shortly. So uh, anybody who's interested uh, can check it out on uh, you can find it anywhere on the internet, basically. The internet is good for that. At Jeff Fletcher OCR, yeah. if you want to find Jeff as well. Hey, appreciate your time, man. All right, thank you for having me. That's fascinating. Fascinating. Shohei Otani, a $500 million mystery man who is the greatest player in baseball history and barely anyone knows him. And he plays for a team that doesn't win. And he's happy with that. Bah, what do you say?